Today we're going to be taking a look at the book of Philippians, which is actually a letter written by a guy named Paul to a church somewhere around 62 A.D., A.D., uh, after the death of Jesus. That's kind of our shorthand for it. But this is taking place uh, really not quite 62 years after Christ's death. But Paul is writing to a church that he helped start in a place called Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And we're going to read a section out of chapter 1 together, starting in verse 12. So Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is Paul writing, and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now what he's talking about here is he's in prison in Rome, writing to the church. In prison because of his witness for Christ. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfishness, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way I will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the reading of God's word. And you may be seated. As you are seated today, we are taking the Lord's Supper, which means we do not have Kingdom Kids. Kingdom Kids is our ministry for children who have aged out of nursery uh, through second grade. But when we have our Lord's Supper, which is typically the first Sunday of every other month, uh, we ask that parents keep the kiddos in here because some of those children have actually gone through believer's baptism, meaning they have accepted Jesus as their Savior and they've been baptized to be a witness to that profession of faith. And so they are able to take the Lord's Supper with us today. Others that have not yet made that decision and gone through the uh, act of baptism, this is a chance for them to observe and to learn uh, as we take the Lord's Supper together. So either way, we want the kiddos to be in here with us. And so we do have some activity folders in the back over here where the lamp is. So if you didn't get one and you need an activity folder for a kiddo, feel free to just slip back there and grab one of those, okay? And hopefully those will uh, help your kiddos who like to wiggle a lot, and I have a few myself that like to wiggle. Maybe it'll help them, you know, wiggle in peace, perhaps, just a little bit more, all right? So let's pause, and let's pray together, and let's dive into God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful for your Word, that you've given us a great gift in knowing that you have a message for us, that you want a relationship with us, 
And the sin that has fractured that relationship has been healed through Christ. And because of that, we can have joy no matter what. And so I pray, Father, as we take a look at Philippians today, that you would fill our hearts with that joy. God, that in tough circumstances and in, in the highs of life, God, that we can have an unmovable, unshakable joy. So, Father, speak to us through your word. Help our minds to be clear, thinking about what you have to say to us. Help our hearts to be soft, ready to receive the message you have for us. And ready our hands and feet that when we leave this place today, we're ready to, to live out what you have taught us in your word. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a question just for you to ponder. It's, uh, it's not rhetorical, but just, you know, you don't have to answer out loud. But what brings you joy? What brings you joy? Okay. Uh, the college football has kicked off. High school football has kicked off. If you're a sports person, maybe that's it. Maybe that brings you joy. Your kids are back in school. If you have children, that might be bringing you some joy, right? Maybe some things taking place in your, in your workplace or in your family that brings you joy. Or, or maybe you're thinking about lunch today and you've got a great plan for lunch. Maybe you don't have to cook. Or maybe you've cooked something or you're going to enjoy something that someone cooked that's delicious, right? And you're thinking about that and that's filling you with joy. But there's lots of things that can fill us with joy. What, what are some of those things? I want you to think about that for a minute. Sometimes we say it like this. When we talk about biblical joy... We say that joy is not circumstantial, right? That it's not dependent on circumstances that we experience joy. So all those things that bring us joy are great, but they don't, we don't depend on them so that we can have joy. And I think that's not a bad way to look at it because joy, you know, happiness can come and go. Happiness has to do with happenstance, right? But joy can be something that we experience uh, no matter what. But when I was looking through... Uh, you realize if you've read through Philippians before, and by the way, we're, reading, we're going through a Bible reading plan together, and so each week we're reading passages of Scripture. If you may notice that this week we actually only read one chapter out of Philippians, and yet we're going to have a whole sermon on the whole of Philippians. And that's because just the way things lined up, I want to make sure we can kind of get through all these books. So you'll actually read more about Philippians this week. And if you aren't on the reading plan, grab one of these little books on the back tables and, uh, and join us. But you'll be reading four chapter or the other three chapters out of Philippians this week. But it's such a short letter, I would encourage you to just read through the whole thing. Maybe not right now. Maybe, you know, later on when you get home or in the morning or something like that. But it's a short letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, which I already mentioned. You know, it's a Roman colony. It's a very important uh, city. Paul uh, passes, or, or Paul goes there in, on one of his missionary journeys. He's a, he's a Christian missionary in the first century. And he establishes this church in Ephesus, and most likely he has returned to this church uh, multiple times. And he has a special relationship with this church. Uh, this church is supporting him in the ministry. You read about that in this chapter. In fact, that's kind of what we think brought about this letter is, is the church in Philippi sent one of their ministers, Epaphroditus, to go and visit Paul and take him a financial gift because Paul is in prison in Rome for his faith in Jesus, his, his preaching about Jesus has landed him in prison and he is he is he's you know very likely facing the end of his life he is anticipating uh, a potential execution but as you heard in here he's also expecting a deliverance from God and we think that's likely what happened that he did get out of prison 
And then a little bit later, he had to return to prison because of his preaching in Jesus' name and then was executed. That's likely what happened in Paul's life. But that's the circumstance in which uh, he is writing from a prison cell in, in, uh, in Rome to the church of Philippi. And, you know, prison back then was a little different. You know, today you get a meal and, and you get uh, some supplies and it doesn't cost you anything. Back in Paul's day, if you went to prison, you had to rely on other people to provide everything for you. If they didn't provide food, you didn't eat. If they didn't provide money for clothes or, or get you a cloak or something like that, you know, you were just cold. That's just how it was. And so they weren't providing all that for you. So it was actually quite a wonderful thing that uh, the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus over to see Paul in Rome and give him a financial gift so that he could take care of his basic needs in life. And while Epaphroditus is with Paul, he gets sick and he almost dies. You'll read that in Philippians. And Paul is very concerned because the church back home in which uh, we think Epaphroditus is, is probably a minister there in the church in Philippi, they get word that Epaphroditus is sick and ill. And Paul wants to send this letter back from him and, and let them know that, you know, he's okay. And most likely uh, Epaphroditus is going to take this letter. He, he, he brought the note and the gift to Paul. And now he's going to take this letter to Philippi, what we call Philippians, back to the Philippian church, right? And he wants them to know, listen... Uh, Epaphroditus, he got sick, he's okay, but, but that's what the delay was, because they may have been wondering, well, what's taking him so long to get back? Is he dragging his feet? Is he taking his time? You know, what's happening with him? And so that's kind of the circumstance in which, in which Paul is writing, but, but you see in the midst of all that that Paul has a special relationship with his church in Philippi. So many of the other letters, there's big-time correction that's needed, like in Corinthians, or, or there's huge warnings about false teaching like we read about in Galatians. But when we get to Philippi, it's really just a, a big thank you letter. It's, it's a letter of appreciation. And so the word that keeps cropping up that you'll see, some say you can find it 16 times. When I look through in kind of my basic NIV translation of the Bible, I can only find it 10 times. But you'll see the word joy or rejoice. And so you can kind of tell that this is kind of a theme throughout the letter, this idea of joy. And specifically, he, he is encouraging them to find and to experience joy. And he's wanting to tell them about the things that are bringing him joy. Keeping in mind that he is doing this from prison. He's doing this not because he landed in jail for bad decisions he made. He's in prison because he's telling people about Jesus. So, so he's experiencing persecution that he knew could end in his death, though he had confidence it would end in his deliverance. But it was most certainly a very serious situation. And yet he has joy. What's interesting, though, is you read through and you look at all these instances of joy, is you will find that some joys that Paul expresses are circumstantial. There are things that, in, that are in his life that do bring him joy. They are based on the circumstances around him. And he says, this brings me joy. And then there's other things, but like the very fact that he's talking about joy from prison, that tell us that it's beyond circumstances. So both in circumstances and beyond our circumstances, we can have joy. We can have joy because of the things, the good things that God has blessed us with in life. And we can have joy when it's hard to find those good things, right? And so we're going to take a look at that, okay? So I mentioned to you, we got ten. I'm going to try to very quickly go through these 10 because we got Lord's Supper at the end. And I know you're already thinking, like, how's that, how's that going to work? 
well, you know, God's in charge. If we go long, we go long. If we go to one or two or three, I mean, no big deal, right? Right? Okay, good. We're on the same page. All right. Starts out very early in the letter to the church in Philippi. In verse 4, Paul uses the word joy. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. It's one of the things that's kind of neat about Philippians is you have these prayers uh, that Paul prays. You hear him talking about this. He's praying for this church. He loves this church. He cares about this church. This church is important to him. And he says specifically in the next part, in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What's he saying? He's saying we are working together to share this good news of Jesus that has begun change in our lives. And he says in the very next verse, I'm confident that he who began this good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What is Paul's joy here? His joy is that he has a partnership in the gospel with these wonderful people in Philippi, and he knows that the change that God has brought through Jesus is just going to continue in their lives moving forward. So that's the first thing, the first time we see him mention joy. The second time is a little bit later in that same chapter. Look, at with, look with me in verse 18. In verse 18 it says, this is something we actually read, and he is pointing out that you know, there are people out there preaching in the name of Jesus, and they're just doing it for selfish gain. And he's letting them know, I'm aware of that. Some people are out there preaching Jesus, and they're doing it because they want to share the love of Jesus with others. But there are others who are preaching Jesus for themselves. But he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, from every false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So what's the thing that brings Paul joy? It's not just that they have a partnership in the gospel, but also that through this partnership and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the good news of Jesus is getting out there. And when you have good news, you want it to get out there. When you've got the best news in the world, you want that news to be shared far and wide. And Paul says, knowing that, it's being, that Jesus is being preached far and wide brings me great joy. And in the very next breath, he mentions rejoicing again. So the third mention, he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So what is he saying? He's saying, I also have joy because I know you're praying for me. I believe God's at work in my life. And these circumstances I'm in that don't look so good, I have joy because I, I am trusting and believing that God's going to turn things around. That though it may not look good now, God is at work and he's going to turn things around. He has confidence in that. And because of that, he rejoices. And then in verse 25, a little bit further into chapter 1, we read this. So that's, that's our three instances so far, okay? Partnership in the gospel, that Jesus is preached, and that Paul has confidence that God is at work and will deliver him. In verse 25, we read, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for, the, for your progress and joy in the faith. And here's where Paul talks about, look, I want to go home. I want to be in heaven. I want to be with Jesus. That's where I want to be, but I also know that God still has an assignment for me here on earth. And since he's still got things for me to do here, I'm going to remain here. And then he says this, why? I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. See, Paul here is saying, my joy is to know that you have joy in the faith. And, and I want to come back to that here in a little bit. But I underline in my Bible, 
joy in the faith. He's not interested in them having circumstantial happiness. He sees that he's still around, that they may deepen their joy in their faith. Number five. Moving into chapter two, we hear Paul say this. Starting in verse 1, Therefore, if any of you has any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in, this, in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, I'll be honest with you, it's really hard for me to preach Philippians and not want to continue and preach through this amazing poem about who Jesus is and the humility of Jesus. But let me, let me kind of point out what Paul is saying here about his joy. He, he is saying that Jesus is a peacemaker. He has brought peace where there was no peace between us and God and between those who believe in Jesus. And that peace is, is brought to us in a unity. That there is peace because we are united together as Christians. And he says that when you, when you love Jesus, who is a peacemaker, and you know that he has made peace between you and God, and that peace comes through this unity that you also share with believers around you, he says when you live out of that, then you're making my joy complete. When I see unity among believers, I have joy. When I see unity around Jesus in the church, I have joy. Because let's be honest, every one of us coming here, none of us see everything eye to eye, right? Uh, even if you're a Christian here today, I guarantee you that you are going to differ with every other Christian who's here today on something, right? But Paul says, my joy is complete when we all have unity around Jesus, right? So that's what brings me joy is unity in the church. Number six, a little bit further in chapter, seven, or chapter two in verse 17, he says this, uh, he says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And here he's talking about the suffering that he's going, he's going through, right? And he says, you know, I'm not, I'm not laboring in vain. But he, he uses this word being poured out like a drink offering. That was a way of talking about serving God. He says, and essentially, even if I don't see the fruit from service, I take joy and am glad that I get to serve you anyways. And, and you may know what that's like. You are serving. You're serving your family. You may be serving in your workplace. You may be serving in your community, serving in the church. And you don't always see the fruit from that. But is it possible to have joy even when you don't see the fruit because you have joy that you know that you are serving God and others? And Paul had that kind of joy. And that's what we see in verse 17. In verse 29 of chapter 2, this is the seventh thing, so we're getting near the end. Hang in there. Number 7, chapter 2, verse 29, Paul says, So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Now he's talking about Epaphroditus. I've already kind of given you a little bit of description on this guy. He is most likely a minister in the church in Philippi, sent to Paul in, in Rome in prison to bring him a financial gift to help him with his needs. And now Paul is sending back with him this letter that we are reading from, with Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi. And so he's talking about him, and he wants them to receive Epaphroditus with joy. 
So, so he just says, you know, serving God brings you joy. That, that was his joy, was knowing he could serve God. But what does it look like when you are served by others in the name of Jesus? Paul says, welcome them with great joy. And there may be people God has placed in your life that is serving you in Jesus. Parents, I hope that's what your, our kids, that's what I hope your parents are doing right, in your life. Or maybe you're in a small group Bible study and you have a teacher who, who, who studies God's word and they, and they share God's word with you. Who is it that is ministering to you? Who is serving you? Paul says, I want you to welcome Epaphroditus, your servant, your minister, back with joy. Makes me think of Rosary. She's back, right? Let's, let's welcome her with joy. I know many of you have already done that, and that's a good thing. The scripture says it's a good thing. Paul said that to welcome people who minister in the name of Jesus, who bless us, to welcome them with great joy. Number eight, getting into chapter four. So in chapter four, it begins like this in verse one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Paul found joy in Christian fellowship. He found joy in having what he calls brothers and sisters. This is not uh, abnormal language in the Bible. This is used frequently. It's a way of talking about a relationship that we share, that we are children of God. We've been adopted in through Jesus. He has brought us into the family of God. And that makes us brothers and sisters. And he says, this relationship we share brings me joy. He calls these folks my joy. It's one of the things I think is so important about church family and why it's so important to be involved in the church and why our small groups ministry is an important place to get plugged in. Because, because the people who are Christians in your life, yes, they can be a headache. I know. They're people, just like, just like I'm, I'm people. You're people. We're all sinners. We're all going to fail each other. We're all going to annoy each other. That's life, right? You're not going to find a perfect church with a bunch of perfect people that will never do anything that you know, bothers you. That's just not going to happen. You can, you can look far and wide. You'll never find it. But a lot of you know this. Some of the most meaningful and wonderful relationships you have have come through being a part of a church family. And Paul sees this as a bigger thing because it may not be, you know, it may be another Christian at work and they don't even come to church where you go to church. It may be a family member that lives in a different town, but you share this connection through Jesus. And that relationship that you both have in Christ, you find joy in that other person because you know they're your family. As imperfect as people are, those people who are in Christ are part of our family. And, and Paul says those folks over in Philippi, they're my joy. Second to last, verse 4 of the same chapter, Paul says this twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Uh, you may have noticed I, I skipped one in chapter 3, verse 1, because he says the same thing. In verse 1 of chapter 3, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So what he's saying here is rejoice in something. No, he says, actually, rejoice in someone. That there are, he, he is showing us that there are circumstances in life in which we can rejoice and we can be joyful. So joy can most definitely be circumstantial. But then there is a joy in the Lord that despite circumstances, we can still have joy. In circumstances, 
where God is blessing us and good things are coming our way, we can rejoice and we should rejoice. Part of rejoicing is giving thanks to God. But there is a kind of rejoicing that we can experience and that, that we can have outside of circumstances. Or when we're in circumstances, we would love to change. But there they are. Can we still have joy even then? Paul says, while he's in prison, for his faith, I rejoice. How? In the Lord. It's to say, I am rejoicing because I know who I am. I know who I have. I know who has me. I am in the Lord. We'll turn to that in just a minute. Let's get to our tenth one. Last one. Last place I can find where Paul mentions joy is in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He says, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And he goes on. But let me kind of explain here. What is he saying? He's saying to the church, I know you care about me. And you finally had a chance to show that through this monetary gift, you know. And he's saying, he's saying I rejoice in that. I rejoice that, that you care enough about me to help me out in my time of need. But what's interesting is that Paul doesn't, in there, he goes on to say some of the most profound words that you will find in this letter, and words that maybe you've heard or even have memorized, or maybe they're like your life verse. Uh, I know this is a, a frequent one. But he's saying, I rejoice because you renewed your concern. But verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. So he's not saying like, hey, I'm buttering you up so I can get a little more. That's not what he's doing. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in pl plenty or in want. Now, wouldn't you want to know that secret? Paul says, I've got a secret. I know a secret. How do you handle all these circumstances in life that make it very difficult to find joy? How is it possible to be content with where God has you when you really would like to be somewhere else in life? He says, I know the secret. Many of you do too. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. See, that verse is not a verse that shows us how to be world beaters and conquer every circumstance and make our life perfect and wonderful. It's a verse that says, when things don't look so good, you can still be content. And if you backtrack from there, you can still have joy, which is how it begins this section in verse 10. Rejoicing, content with what God has, where God has placed us in life, leads us to this truth. That our joy is in the Lord. Our strength is in the Lord. As one thing you notice, like when I began, you know, what brings you joy? I'm curious, you know, like when I was reading this, I thought, well, what brings me joy? And I could think of all the things, you know, and I, and I just kind of compared that list to what Paul's list is. It's okay. Well, well what's, what's, what's Paul's list of joy? things that bring him joy and the ways he's instructing the church to be joyful and a compare and contrast kind of shows a sometimes it can show kind of a stark difference like all the things that are on my list I don't see those on Paul's list and some of the things that are on Paul's list maybe they're not on my list what does it look like to have joy according to scripture Paul is showing us and I think at the heart of it 
It's this idea of having joy that it begins with, it starts with, the center of it is to have joy in the Lord. That that's where we have to begin. If we hope to have joy in good circumstances and in bad circumstances, it begins with, it ends with, in the middle of it all is to have joy in the Lord. And this is what Paul is saying uh, and I love this part in verse 25 that I read earlier. And he's talking to the Corinthians. He says, I want to stick around because I want to help you have joy in the faith. Now, let's, let's be honest. That's not always easy to find. You know, uh, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here. But may, maybe you know what this is like. Someone comes to you and says, I can't find fill in the blank. What usually goes in that blank? Remote in my house is like the number one thing on the top of the list. I can't find the remote. It's usually me saying it, but anyways. But this happens where somebody says, I can't find something. They come to you, and it takes you, on average, 2.73 seconds. He's like, well, there it is. Like, how, how hard did you really look? That's what I get, I get so annoyed by this. You can tell, okay? Which is, you know, hypocritical because I'll, I kind of do the same thing sometimes. But how hard do we really look? And, and here's my point, is that there is joy in the faith. There is joy in the Lord, but sometimes we have to look a little bit harder. Sometimes we have to look for it. Because it's not so obvious. Maybe because we're expecting joy in all these other ways that would be nice. But joy coming through a wonderful marriage, maybe that's not happening. Joy coming through obedient children, you know, that's not happening. Joy in a job that you love that's fulfilling, that take care of your, takes care of your needs, that's not happening, right? Like, there, there's going to be times where joy, and you would look for that joy in good places, all good things, all good things, and yet it's hard to find. But hard to find isn't impossible to find. Those are two different things. Something that is hard to find doesn't mean that it's impossible to find. It just means you have to look a little harder. And I remember a time in my life where God gave me this verse. It stuck with me. It's out Jeremiah 29. A lot of us know the verse, verse 11, but verse 13, something that, that God brought to me. He said, in verse 13, the Lord says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Honestly, it's pretty easy to have joy when things are going well. And Paul's no different. He shows us that. How do you have joy when things aren't going so well? It's in the Lord. It's in the faith. And you may have to look for it. Some days you may have to look real hard. But if I were to give you kind of a nutshell version of what I have to do sometimes when it's hard to find that joy, is to say, I know that I am a child of God. I know that I became a child of God through grace, meaning I did not earn that place to be called a son of God. That Jesus earned that place for me by the way that he lived in his sacrificial death. He covered my sins, and that sin is what broke my relationship with God. But Jesus conquered that sin so that I could be a child of God. And if I couldn't earn that relationship with God, I certainly can't lose that relationship with God. And that relationship for which I'm made doesn't end when my life ends. But this is an eternal relationship. And in heaven, I don't know how it's all going to work. But it's going to be eternity of joy in the Lord. 
That's what's ahead. So the worst is behind me, sin and lostness. And the best is ahead of me, eternal life with my heavenly Father. And no matter what I do right now, I can't ruin that future. Sometimes that is your baseline joy when you can find joy in no other place. Can you say those things? And sometimes you've got to say it more than once. Sometimes you say it first because you know it's true. Sometimes you've got to keep thinking and keep praying and keep asking God to connect that from your head to your heart that you feel that it's true. Not that feelings are everything are the most important thing, but to feel the warmth of your Father who knows you and loves you and has saved you. And that's the secret to joy. Just as it's a secret to contentment, we can go through anything. Because of him, he's the one that gives us the strength because he lives in us. As our loving heavenly father sent the son and the son sent the spirit to dwell in us, we have an opportunity for joy no matter what. And for that we give thanks. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this encouraging letter that Paul wrote. And it would certainly be no surprise if there, there are those of us here this morning, myself included, that needs that encouragement. That needs to hear there is joy when things are going well and there is joy when things aren't. That we need to know that we can have joy in you when it looks like we can't find joy anywhere else. And Father, I just pray for us that we hear that and that may just kind of go in one ear and out the next. We may hear that and say, well, you know, I've, I've kind of looked for that, but... I can't find it. Father, I pray right now, here and now, we would dig in and say, I'm going to find the joy in my faith in the Lord with his help. I'm going to search and I'm going to find it. And your promise to us in Jeremiah is when we search with all of our hearts, we will find you and you are our joy. Above all other things that could bring us joy in life, Father, we just confess you are our joy. You're our greatest joy. Help us to search for you. Help us to never give up, even when things look really rough. Because in you there is joy and you want to be found. You call us to yourself. You sent Jesus into this world that, you, that we may be found by you and that we may find you. In all this, Father, we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have a time of invitation, a chance to respond to the Lord. Whatever he's laid on your heart, however he's led you, let's respond. Just pray where you are. You can come down front and pray. But let's not close out this time of our service before we get to the Lord's